This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, September 23, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Brianna Taylor was killed by Louisville police in the early morning hours of March 13th. Today, more than six months later, one of the three officers involved was charged, but not with murder, not with manslaughter, but with three counts of wanton endangerment. And none of those charges directly relate to the death of Ms. Taylor. Clark Neely, Vice President for Criminal Justice at the Cato Institute, discusses today's announcement and its implications for policing. The killing of Breonna Taylor is a tragedy that need not have happened. There are two ways it could have been avoided. One is if we would abandon uh, the pointless, wasteful, and immoral war on drugs. The second is if police uh, were more careful and more thoughtful about the way they do their job and and less inclined to uh, use violent tactics like storming into somebody's uh, residence in the middle of the night. There are plenty of other ways that this operation could have been done. They chose uh, the most dangerous route, and uh, that cost Brianna Taylor her life. So uh, the charges that were filed, uh, this is uh, against Brett Hankison, who's one of the three officers involved in, in this raid. Uh, they are charges of wanton endangerment. None of those charges relate to what occurred inside Brianna Taylor's apartment. That is, they are related to shots fired into neighboring apartments. Uh, what makes it so difficult to charge what you and I might think would be appropriate as a legal matter? What makes it difficult to charge uh, these officers in her death? Well, the thing that makes it most difficult is then when Kenneth Walker, who was in the apartment with Breonna Taylor, uh, fired a shot at the door at what he believed at the time were intruders, that seems to have technically uh, given the police the legal right to return fire in self-defense. Uh, and so the the to avoid that self-defense charge, um, the, it appears that what happened is that the uh, prosecutors cho- chose to bring charges against uh, Hankinson for essentially blindly spraying shots, uh, some of which appear to have entered the apartments of some of Ms. Taylor's neighbors. And none of the charges uh, that he's facing appear to be related to any of the shots that he fired into her apartment. It's just the neighbor's apartment. But um, I think that's probably a tactical choice on the part of the prosecutors to avoid a potential self-defense um, uh, claim on on his part. Uh, so, um, if I understand it correctly, uh, Kentucky law and in many other states, police who are on duty, there is a presumption that they, in any interaction that they might have with people where there is some sort of scuffle uh, or fight or shooting, that they cannot be treated as the aggressor. Is that true? My understanding is that as long as they are um, engaged in the lawful performance uh, of their duties, it is generally the case that um, aggression against the police can be met with force uh, on their part, and that would include lethal force. A lot of people don't really understand how grand juries work. Uh, and I, I think a lot of the, I don't know if the violence would have been any less than what it is as, as it's sort of unfolding in Louisville right now. I'm speaking to you from the uh, Louisville metropolitan area right now. Grand juries have enormous power, and yet uh, people serving on grand juries seem relatively unaware of it. Is that fair? 
I think in most cases that's right. Uh, I think the grand juries have become largely captured by prosecutors, uh, and prosecutors, in many cases, perhaps most cases, um, make a point to at least somewhat keep the grand jury in the dark about what their true powers are and essentially try to cultivate the grand jury as an instrument of the prosecution. And um, I think that prosecutors have been quite successful in transforming the institution of the grand jury from a kind of a genuinely independent fact-finding and uh, charge-evaluating body to something that's not much more than a kind of a captive instrument of the prosecution. Police had a no-knock warrant. Uh, It was issued by a judge in Jefferson County, Kentucky, um, but they knocked and and arguably announced themselves. It's pretty clear that they knocked. It's not clear that they announced themselves. Uh, Mr. Walker uh, apparently asked, uh, according to him, asked who was there and did not receive a response, and then police uh, came and barged into the home. Radley Balco at the Washington Post has argued this warrant was issued illegally, but there's not really a mechanism to punish anybody who issues or executes these warrants. Yeah, I mean, it depends exactly what, if anything, went wrong. So the the most serious problem there may be with the warrant is that there is at least some possibility that it was obtained through misrepresentations by another officer, uh, Joshua Jaynes. He represented to the judge, apparently, that he had been told by a U.S. postal inspector uh, that the primary person of interest in this investigation, uh, a man named Jamarcus Glover, uh, had been picking up packages at Brianna Taylor's apartment and that the police believe those packages may have contained drugs. Uh, it appears the postal inspector denies uh, making that representation uh, to Detective Janes. And so if 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 that was a basis for the warrant being issued, and it turns out to be factually incorrect, then it's possible that that the detective, if, if that detective um, put a knowingly put a false uh, fact into the affidavit, then then he could be facing criminal liability. If any of the detectives uh, involved in the raid on Brianna Taylor's apartment knew uh, that the warrant contained inaccurate information and was therefore defective, then they too could be uh, criminally liable for that. But that, that's a that's a pretty tenuous chain of events. And we just don't really know what's going on as far as the potential inaccuracies in the affidavit. But there's another issue here too, which is whether the allegations that were in the affidavit were sufficient to justify the issuance of a no-knock warrant at all. And um, there is a baseline requirement uh, and you have to articulate some case-specific reason for needing a, a no-knock warrant. And as Radley and others have documented, it's incredibly common for judges to issue no-knock warrants without the necessary legal showing. So that's another question in this case. And then finally, um, the, the what almost certainly happened here, because it happens so often, is that uh, it does appear that the police knocked. But the whole point of the knock and announce requirement is to knock, announce that you are the police, and then wait a period of time so that the occupants can open the door and avoid the kind of surprise, violent confrontation that occurred here. To a high degree of certainty, what happened here is that the police knocked, and then if they did announce, which is disputed, but if they did announce, they announced at the same time that they were taking down the door with a battering ram. And that's not really within the spirit of the knock and announce requirement because it fails to avoid exactly the situation that you're trying to avoid by announcing yourself, which is 
is to avoid a surprise con- confrontation with one of the occupants. I think the likelihood uh, that Kenneth Walker, who seems to have been a solid citizen without a, a record, criminal record, uh, knowingly took a shot at police officers is infinitesimally small. I think it is almost certain that he believed that he was uh, the victim of a home invasion uh, when he fired that shot, which strongly suggests that the the if they if the police did announce it was ineffective because they were announcing at the same time that they were taking down the door with a battering ram. The tragedy of this case, I mean, there's a lot that's tragic about this case, but maybe the greatest tragedy of this case uh, is that there's no need for Brianna Taylor to lose her life. There are so many things that could have been done um, better and in a more just way. In the first place, um, it's unclear why they really needed to be executing a search warrant at her apartment. There was some allegation that she was maybe involved in some way in someone else's drug dealing activity, but that's something that could have been just discussed with her. Um, Brianna Taylor was um, a, a healthcare worker working in a hospital. She could have just been approached before or after her shift. Um, they could have spoken with her. They also apparently had um, a camera surveilling her apartment. Um, they could have picked a different time uh, when they could have made, uh, you know, sort of a, a safer entry into the apartment. Um, but it's common, unfortunately, it's become quite common uh, for police to choose what is tactically the most hazardous uh, option available to them, which is what they call a dyna- dynamic entry in the middle of the night. That's one of the most dangerous things that you can do is surprise somebody like they did here. Um, it was an extraordinarily poor uh, choice or exercise of judgment. And of course, Again, the the maybe the most profound issue here is that um, this is going to happen when you have drug prohibition, when you have a war on drugs, there will be victims. And the idea that it was worth the life uh, of this young woman uh, to enforce uh, morally indefensible and utterly pointless and un, uh, you know unhelpful drug laws um, is perhaps the central tragedy here. This case, more than anything to me, underscores that the time has long since come to end the drug war um, so that we don't continue to produce needless victims like Breonna Taylor. Uh, the city of Louisville recently settled some civil claims with the Taylor family for something like $12 million. That will be paid largely by taxpayers, Kentucky taxpayers in, in particular. And uh, once again, that, this, that's a, a, a relatively small matter, uh, but there's no reason for that either. No. um, Kentucky taxpayers will be on the hook for $12 million because they ultimately are left holding the bag um, for the stupid execution of a stupid policy that shouldn't be on the books in the first place. Um, And it was, um, uh, you know, an operation that was undertaken by people who placed very little uh, emphasis or concern on the safety of Breonna Taylor and the other occupant. Uh, of her apartment um, in the service uh, of a morally indefensible and pointless drug war. And until we get to the root uh, of the problem, which is the criminalization of non-wrongful conduct that doesn't harm anybody and doesn't represent a threat to the fabric of civil society, um, there will continue to be victims, unnecessary victims of that utterly indefensible policy. And Brianna Taylor, unfortunately, is just simply the, the latest one, but there will be more. Clark Neely is Vice President for Criminal Justice at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 